Hi, this is Erin James Brown. My pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I serve as the interim site pastor at Urban Village Church, Edgewater. Urban Village Church does bold, inclusive, and relevant ministry for people who were traumatized by church, people who feel overchurched, and even the non-churched folks. If you identify with any of these signifiers, we're so glad you're listening. Would you consider helping us continue this Jesus-loving ministry in and across Chicago and over the internet? You can make a generous recurring gift by going to our website, urbanvillagechurch.org backslash give. And thanks for helping us with your ears, actions, and dollars to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And now, here's the latest sermon. I am Myron Chris. My pronouns are he, him, and his, and I'm your scripture reader for today. And I invite you as you listen to the scripture for today to listen to what God would desire to speak into your life. Our scripture is coming from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and I believe they are already on the screen. My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. This is the word for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning, friends. My name is Christian Kuhn. Uh, My pronouns are he, him, his, and uh, I wear many hats at Urban Village. Uh, I am one of the co-founders of Urban Village. And uh, right now, I am wearing the hat of lead pastor of Urban Village, but starting in January, my position is changing a bit to pastor of Emerging Ministries. And so these days, I'm usually out in River Forest. Um, Do you all know there are suburbs uh, around Chicago? All right. So River Forest, Oak Park is one of the suburbs just west of the city. River Forest is right next to it. And we are currently exploring the possibility of a 
partnership or collaboration with River Forest United Methodist Church. Uh, we're using language like we're dating each other to see if this might be a thing. Uh, and so I am out there on Sundays to kind of explore the possibilities there. But I'm really pleased to be with you here today. Uh, I had something kind of embarrassing happen to me about a week ago. Uh, I have uh, two children, one of whom is now a freshman at Michigan State University. And so last uh, weekend, we went up to visit her. So on Friday, we were getting ready to go. And uh, so we had things packed, and I decided to use our restroom uh, right before we went. And so was ready to go out of the restroom and started jiggling the doorknob, and then the door wasn't opening. And then I thought, this cannot be happening. So I did that thing where you like jiggle it a little harder and tug on the door a little bit, thinking this will surely do it. And futz with the lock and all this kind of things, and I'm locked in the bathroom. So now I call out to my son to see if he can help at all, and he really can't help me at all. And so now my wife gets in and she kind of laughs at first. And it is kind of funny, but I am not in a laughing kind of mood at this point. And so they're putting things underneath the bathroom door for me to try to figure out a paper, a paper clip. And I'm trying to do something with the lock and nothing is happening. So finally, I was able to get the pins out of the hinges of the door and we removed the whole door in order for me to go. And so we finally hit the road and, and go up to see my daughter. So we come home to a doorless powder room on our first floor. So of course, it's one of those things where you think somehow the magical elves will come and put the door back on for me. This isn't happening. So about three days later, I finally decide to put the door back on. So I go to where I put the pins and the hinges, and this was in a cupboard up above our washer and dryer. So there are three pins, three hinges, three pins. I go to pick up these pins. There are only two pins. And I'm wondering, where did the other pin go? And so I'm looking all around. And because this is above our washer and dryer, I wonder if somehow the pin had fallen down uh, next to the washer and dryer. Now, some of you may keep a, like, such a clean house that you regularly sweep and vacuum underneath your washer and dryer. I'd like to think that we keep a pretty clean house, but we don't do that. We don't go that far. So I took a flashlight to see if somehow one of the pins had fallen down, and I was a little nervous about doing so because I wasn't quite sure what I would find when I shone this flashlight down underneath the washer and dryer. So I took a quick look, and I didn't find anything. And so then I asked my wife if she had knew where this other pin was. And she said, you know, actually, I heard something fall, a ping happened the other day. So I knew. She said, why don't we move the washer and dryer out and see if the pin is there? Now, because before I was a little nervous about what actually we were going to see underneath this washer and dryer, for a quick moment, I thought, you know, maybe let's just go to the hardware store and buy a new pin rather than going through all that trouble. But my wife, God bless her, said no. So we pull out the dryer and there's all kinds of dust bunnies, there's hair ties, there's a sock from somewhere, there are caps to laundry detergent bottles, all of these things, but no pin. And it's a little gross, to be honest with you. So then we pull out the washer. Finally, we find this pin. And because I'm a little grossed out by what we're finding underneath the wash and dryer, I say, let's just push it back and pretend that we didn't see anything here. 
But my wife, God bless her, said, as long as we've got it out, we might as well vacuum and sweep. So she gets in and does all of the thorough cleaning. And I just kind of watch her and cheer her on uh, as she does so. You know, there are times in our lives, whether it's in our homes, whether it's a washer and dryer, or whether it is a couch maybe that you don't want to look behind, whatever it is, there are parts of our homes that we maybe want to shine the flashlight, but other times we're a little afraid to do so because we don't know what we are going to find. And I think that's probably pretty true of our own lives too. Our hearts, our souls, there are parts of who we are that we're a little nervous about looking at, a little nervous to shine the flashlight to see exactly what is in there. And it's why sometimes it's a little hard to do a prayer of confession. Because if we take that seriously and really think about our lives, think about the ways in which we have fallen short of what God has called us to do and to be, to love, sometimes the church we call that sin, it's easier to just skip over that and go to the forgiveness part or talk about grace a lot more. It's hard to really look at ourselves. And I think that's true sometimes, too, of a church, to really look at behind the corners in the crevices of a church to see what's really there. It's better just to kind of slap a happy, shiny face on it and say, oh, everything's just fine. And maybe that's true sometimes of our city or of our society. It's hard to look in those places, to shine a flashlight in those places because we don't know what we are going to see And maybe we do know what we're going to see, but we would rather not face it. But I think if we're honest with ourselves and hopefully have some courage and bravery, we know that we need to do that work too. And that's what we have tried to do at Urban Village, particularly around the issue of race, racism, and wanting to be an anti-racist church. So in 2012, that was really the first time we really started to dig in to explore what it meant to be an anti-racist church. And ever since that year, we have done a sermon series about anti-racism every year. And so we are starting that today called Brave Spaces, where we are exploring what does it mean to be an anti-racist church and to explore this issue both in our own lives, in the life of this church, and in the lives of society too. So we're asking to kind of pull out those flashlights and look to see in those places that sometimes we'd rather not look at but we know we're there, and we believe God is calling us to do so. This journey that we've been on at Urban Village has not always been easy. It's been challenging, sometimes painful, but I believe it is gospel-inspired and infused. And I'm glad and proud to be part of a church that is doing this work. Not that we have it figured out, not even close, but we're doing the work and doing all we can to try to shine the light. So today, this sermon is kind of going back to some of the basics. You may know Urban Village is a pretty transient church. And so sometimes people come and are part of the community for a year or two, and then they move elsewhere. And so we thought it might be helpful to kind of go back to some of the foundations of what does it mean to be an anti-racist church and do some definitions or look at some definitions so that you know what we are talking about when we throw language or words around Uh, So we're all kind of on a common place. So let me first talk about uh, a word called prejudice, which we may have heard of too. Sometimes when we talk about racism, we sometimes conflate that in really what we think is prejudice. So this is uh, a definition from a book called White Fragility by an author named Robin DeAngelo that I would recommend to you. 
So let's talk about what and she defines prejudice this way. Prejudice is prejudgment about another person based on the social groups to which that person belongs. Prejudice consists of thoughts and feelings, including stereotypes, attitudes, generalizations that are based on little or no experience and then projected onto everyone in that group or from that group. She also knows that all humans have prejudice. It's something that we cannot avoid. Now, racism is something more than just prejudice. And so I want to give you another definition of racism. This comes from Crossroads. Crossroads is an anti-racism organizing and training uh, uh, group, institution, that Urban Village has been working with the last few years. And uh, Crossroads defined racism this way, saying that racial prejudice becomes racism when, one's, when one group's racial prejudices are enforced by the systems and institutions of a society, giving power and privilege based on race to the group in power and limiting the power and privilege of the racial groups that are not in power. Now, I know when I describe definitions here, sometimes that's helpful, but sometimes it, our eyes maybe gloss over a little bit. I want to show you a couple of very brief videos that I found this week that begins to unpack uh, racism and prejudice. Sometimes when somebody does something individually and we will say that that's something that's racist, when really, really what we mean is prejudice. Racism is much bigger than individual acts of prejudice. So when we talk about racism, systemic racism, what are we talking about? So I'm going to show uh, two videos. They're very brief. They're about 45 to 60 seconds long, but it gives some examples of what systemic racism and how it plays out in our society. Oh, hey, I didn't see you there. You know, if you're like most Americans, you probably say to yourself all the time, systemic racism, is that really a thing? Well, did you know that out of all drug arrests in America, 40% are not for selling any kind of drugs, but just for possessing marijuana? And that white and black Americans use marijuana at the same rates, but black Americans are 3.7 times more likely to get arrested for it? Did you know that? Do you know what that's called? That's called systemic racism. And yes, it's really a thing. see you there. So if you're like most Americans, you probably say to yourself all the time, systemic racism, is that really a thing? Well, did you know that year in and year out for the last 60 years, no matter what else is going on in America, black unemployment has been about twice white unemployment? That even if you just look at black college graduates, their unemployment rate is always twice that of white college graduates? And even if all you do is apply for a job with a white-sounding name, you're 50% more likely to get a callback than if you have a black-sounding name? Did you know that? Do you know what that's called? That's called systemic racism. And yes, it's really a thing. Do you all remember the more you know those? <laughs> Some of these, there are numerous of those videos, and, but the ones that really, these are two that really stuck out to me. And it speaks a little bit to some of the things that we encounter when we talk about systemic racism. Often we talk about, when we talk about if somebody is racist, we think that's an individual act. 
And too often when we talk about something being racist, we think about, well, that's something that the KKK does. Or we think about Charlottesville. And we say, that's racist. And we point the finger, these individual acts of prejudice, which are awful in their own. But then we point the finger and we say, that's racist. And then we just kind of go on and live our lives, thinking racism or somebody being racist is something out there. It's not something that I deal with. And when that happens, then that continues this systemic racism that we read about, powers and systems that are in place that impede or that uh, stop the ability of others to flourish, for all groups to flourish in our society. So, One question that people might have when we talk about Urban Village about being an anti-racist church, and some people might think, well, why is the church even worried about this? Can't we just talk about love and grace and all these things? I don't want my church to get too political. But here's the thing. Urban Village is a United Methodist church. And whenever we baptize someone, whenever we invite someone to be a member, we ask them one question among many. But the first question we ask is this. I think we have, do we have this up? We do. And so this is the first question that we ask individuals, and that's this. Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? This is the first question that we ask individuals when they want to become a member of the church and when we're about to baptize someone. Now, sometimes when, before I ask this question, when I'm about to baptize either an infant or an adult, and I say, you know, I make, make a joke that sounds like it's something out of Star Wars or it sounds like something out of a Harry Potter book, spiritual forces of wickedness, evil powers of this world. We think that's like a really conservative church that talks about these kinds of things. But if we talk about and look at our world, and we know that there are forces, we know that there are powers in this world that are at play that impede somebody from fully flourishing in the world. And some of those powers, some of those forces that we name are racism, heterosexism, uh, homophobia, other sexisms. And so all of these things that go on in our world, these are the powers and the forces that are at play. And if we are serious about this as a church, we need to shine the light on this so that we can look at them and then respond to it and deal with it. Again, when we talk about racism, we tend to focus on individual acts, but it's much greater than that. There are systems at play here that we also need to address, both in our church and beyond too. And we see this in the passage today from James. James shows us that we need to be concerned not only about individual acts of prejudice, but other systems too. So James, for those of you who may read the scriptures and might be uh, a little overwhelmed by phrases, or you might think this is kind of uh, beyond me, James is a really good book for you. James really gets to the practicality of what it means to be a person of faith. It was written to a community that really was dedicated to prayer, was dedicated to the teaching of Jesus, And he lays it out here. Apparently, in this community, some people were favoring those who had fine clothes, who had wealth, and they were saying, come and sit down at this great seat. And then others who had dirty clothes, as the scripture tells us, uh, or who were poor, they were kind of cast off to the side. James is calling them out on this and telling them, do you not know who we worship? Do you not know who we follow? But then James does something interesting. He makes a transition after calling out this community for these individual acts of prejudice, 
he then makes a shift and talks about something much larger. So he does this starting at chapter or verse eight. Again, James says this, you do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then in verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. So James is talking at first, again, about individual acts. People are saying, you look great. Can you come and sit in the best seat here? You don't look so great. Maybe you want to watch from beyond the doors here in our little community. These are the individual acts that James is calling out. And then in verse 8, he says this, there is a law, a system, something much greater than the sum of our parts that we need to pay attention to. And this law he's talking about is the law of the kingdom of God. And he spells it out here, to love your neighbor as yourself. So James is going from the specific individual acts to something much larger to try to get them to embrace a system of love. One scholar named Luke Timothy Johnson says this. He says, the person who claims to live by the law of love, yet practices the sort of discrimination that the law of love itself forbids, has broken the law of love entirely. James is both saying that we need to pay attention to these individual acts that harm others. In other words, what we would say are acts of prejudice. But then also we need to pay attention to something much larger. James is saying that we need to embrace a law of love, a law of loving your neighbor as yourself. And what we are saying, we need to pay attention and call out individual acts of prejudice, but we also need to be much more aware of a system, forces, powers that make it harmful, even life-threatening for people who live in our communities. Racism. And we need to pay attention to both. And during the sermon series, we're particularly paying attention to racism and what we can do to begin to eradicate it. Now, let me give you a little bit of a personal example and some of the things that we've been doing at Urban Village. Some of you may know about three or four years ago, we went through an audit. We invited Crossroads to come and really look at our church and all the ways that we were during church. And, you know, we were claiming to be this diverse anti-racist church, but were we really? So we invited this outside group, Crossroads, to come and help us to do that. Now, let me give you some uh, full confession and to offer maybe a little bit of vulnerability here. Now, as one of the co-founders of Urban Village, And as I like to think of myself as a pretty open-minded person, uh, and inclusive is one of our core values too. So when we talked about bringing somebody in to really look at how we were doing as a church, my initial thought was, we must be doing great. I mean, inclusive is one of our core values. And boy, was I wrong. And I remember when we had a three-day training and talking about what it means to be an anti-racist institution, And people started talking about some of the things that they were experiencing at Urban Village. Microaggressions. People of color were sometimes saying we would say things that we were concerned about, but people would tell us to be quiet, or they might say that we're being treated as troublemakers. They were beginning to name some of these things. And as we really explored our church, we started to look at things like, and I had to look at my own self too, when you preach a sermon Who are the theologians that you're looking at? Are they only white theologians? What about the music that you're singing? Is it only in English? Are they only by 
people who, white, white people who are writing these songs? What about your leadership structure? What about where you meet? All of these things that play into this uh, sense of racism that might have been happening or was happening at Urban Village. And at this three-day training, people were naming these things, and my first reaction was to take it so personally. They were just naming Urban Village stuff, but I thought they were attacking me as one of the co-founders of this church. And then I went into this pity party for myself, thinking, oh, I can't believe I would get both defensive. I can't believe they're saying that. That's not really true. And sometimes that I would feel really sorry for myself, like, oh, I can't believe this. I'm just going to withdraw and not explore this anymore. So I started to do that. Friends, that's exactly what racism wants us to do, is to begin to withdraw or to lash back out or to get defensive, rather than really listening and looking at the system of what's going on here. When people were criticizing Urban Village, they weren't necessarily criticizing me personally, but that's how I took it. And so I just withdrew a little bit and just thought, well, I'm not going to do anything at all. I'm not going to engage because I don't want to hurt anyone else. And that's the wrong step to take, rather than beginning to really look at what is going on at our church and what steps can we take to eradicate the things that are happening that stop somebody from fully flourishing in their faith, particularly a person of color at our church. And ever since then, it has been, again, it's a painful process to really look at yourself and to really look at your church to see if it, what, if it's, if it claims to be an inclusive church and really begin to look at whether that's true. And in some ways, maybe we're doing better. And in some ways, we still have a long way to go. Crossroads has said that if you want to begin to make a shift as an institution, as a church, that's generational change. It would be great. I wish I could tell you, we had an audit three years ago. And guess what? Six months later, we're no longer racist. Isn't that great? It's not that easy. That's not the way racism works. It gets its hooks into us. And it's the air we breathe and it's all around us. And we are blinded to it in so many different ways. And that's why it constantly takes hard work to really look at the things that we take for granted or the things that we think is just the way it is, rather than shining that light in places that we would rather not see and the places that we would rather not go. So during this sermon series, we are beginning this uh, are talking about this, and we're having opportunities. Later on, we'll be having some times to talk about this and, and meet in caucuses, and we'll talk about this in a sermon uh, in a few weeks. I'm glad they talked about the anti-racism open house that's happening uh, on the 29th, a chance to come and learn more about what we are doing. Uh, the audit that we, had, that we did, it's about a 35-page audit, all the findings that we found from three, four years ago, that's online. You can find out more about how we are doing that too. This is not easy work, friends but I believe it is holy work. If we claim to really believe the question that we ask when someone is about to be baptized, when someone is about to experience this sacrament of new life in Christ, and when we ask them the question, do you reject the evil powers of this world? Do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness? If we're serious about that, then we need to be serious about that. And we need to do this work both individually and as a church. 
I wish we had enough money in our budget. I could have given you all a flashlight as a gift on your way out the door today. But I hope that you begin to think about that and take that, your own flashlight, to begin to look at yourselves, to begin to look at this church, to look at our society, and not just look the other way, and not just think that somebody else can do it, but to really look hard at all the things that are at play here. And we believe and trust that this is the light of Christ, encouraging us to live into a law of love, to continue this important work, because it's what we are called to do as followers of Jesus, who both called people out and called people in into this law of love. And I hope that together we can do this. Would you please pray with me? God, I am grateful for the ways that you work in our lives. And sometimes you move us and nudge us to places that we would rather not go because we're forced to look at our own stuff and we realize that we have fallen short, that we are broken, that we have either intentionally or unintentionally made life harder for somebody else. But I pray that you would be with us to give us the courage to look at the systems that are at play in our lives, that we might speak up and speak out, that we might go alongside with others so that we could go on this journey together, knowing that you are with us along the way. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.